As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. On Fridays, we're here to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action and I've got my co-host George Ellick and bet 365 Steve Freeth alongside me here to help. In George's case, I'm not sure the reason why Steve is here. <laughs> uh, he doesn't help me at all through this podcast. How are you both? I'll let Steve come back to that, I think. Well, yes, no, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the weekend and, uh, and Chelsea scoring a few goals, hopefully. Yes, I fear you might enjoy the Saturday tea time kickoff a little bit more than I do, Steve. <laughs> George, you OK? Yeah, I'm OK. I get a rare opportunity to actually go and watch my football team play football on a Saturday. Um, it feels like the more I work in football, the less chances I get to actually go and watch my team. So, um, yeah, off to Oxford against Wickham, Saturday, 3pm, the, the glamour tie. Um, I actually, earlier this week... Yeah, big game. I mean, earlier this week, I got offered a ticket to go to Old Trafford to uh, to Manchester United Newcastle, and I had to turn it down, full in the knowledge that if I'd accepted that and, and deserted my own um, my own side, I'd have been probably one of the biggest hypocrites mm. in football. So um, yeah, I've I've chosen the Kassam over Old Trafford. You've made the right decision. I think if you'd have come on here and, and said the opposite, I think we'd have had to have booted you <laughs> off, off the call, off the, off the podcast. I don't think that would have been acceptable at all. The Premier League is back, but obviously there's been a fair bit of international football over the last 10 days or so. England fall to a late draw. Can you? I mean, can you even fall to a late draw? But I guess the, the game was, was going to be one stoppage time. They end up drawing. And the, the biggest thing so far, Steve, that the main complaint seems to be that Southgate didn't make any subs. Yeah, and it's not the first time, is it, really, that Gareth has been questions about about his substitutions, and and also from from a winning position of one nil as well. You know, it's a stick or twist, and he and he tends to try to stick um, at a one nil lead. I think you know Kane's goal was what was it, like a two percent chance that he actually scored it. It was it was a decent strike that moved around, um, and then you have Poland making five substitutions. Well, well, England just just didn't make yeah. uh, make any at all, and you've got players running on empty and you know Poland clearly were uh, were chasing the game I don't think England had a shot of of any note after after Harry Kane's uh, goal either which was a concern there listen it's not the end of the world they're 1 to 50 to win the group okay but listen we've been, 
you know, but we've been here before with with England and and and, and questioning the substitutions. Of course, I'm thinking of the penalty shootout in the in the Euros as well, and even from a one 0 lead as well, where he didn't make substitutions when the game seemed to be slipping slipping beyond yeah. England and, and Italy were getting back into it as well. So listen, we, we always seem to find something to to question Gareth. You know, he's. Uh, He's he's done pretty well as an England manager, but I suppose the more you get, the more you want. You know what I mean. So um, it's a, it's a tough one. But listen, they've conceded two goals, and that's the first time they've dropped any points in the group after six games. Let's give them a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, I think we've had worse problems over the years, haven't we, George? And I guess because it's yeah still like a, a relatively young side, and Salah is a relatively relatively inexperienced manager. I know it sounds stupid, but he will learn from these things. Yeah, you'd think so. I also think that our record in qualifiers is so good that sometimes drawing away at Poland, you know, this is a Poland side who have Robert Lewandowski playing up front, is seen as kind of a poor result. Whereas actually, it's, it's, it's not a bad result at all. Going into the game, Poland needed um, the points or the points more than we did. Um, you saw by the by the scenes at the final whistle just how big a goal it was. Um, I saw Chesney getting criticised for his role in England's goal, I think that's very unfair. Uh, I'm normally the first to criticise keepers, as you guys know, but I think in this occasion, it was just a brilliant strike that moved a lot in the air. And I think it deceived uh, Chesney. You probably saw it quite late coming over the defender. Um, but with the with the substitutions, I think the, the thing that kind of flummoxed me a little bit was, was Southgate's explanation where he said, you know, we were in control of the game. I didn't want to bring on a substitute who'd been sitting in the stands. I mean, that that shows a, a, a very strange lack of understanding about what a substitute can actually do. And I, I have a feeling that isn't probably the real reason why he did it. We saw in the Hungary game, which England won 4-0, the same first 11 was picked and there wasn't a substitution made until very, very late in the game. I think given that the World Cup is a bit earlier next season, possibly with the exception of Phil Foden. I think Gareth Southgate knows that that is his strongest team. And I think he wants that team playing football with each other for as long as possible. He's not going to sit in a press conference after the game and say, that's my strongest team. You know, I want those, those 11 to play together because you know he, he can't, he's got to be more diplomatic than that. But I think it's just a case of ensuring that that 11 get as many minutes. And, you know, they basically got 180 minutes together over the course of the qualifiers. Um, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, Foden possibly in for Grealish. I mean, the right-back issue would be one that other fans would maybe say Carl Walker isn't a shoe in but it looks like certainly the moment in Southgate's mind he is. So, um, yeah, I think then he maybe couldn't be as honest as, he, as he'd wanted to be in that in that presser. Yes, we won't talk about Gareth Southgate's penchant for playing Jack Grealish, now he plays for Manchester City <laughs> from the start. We won't get into that because <clears throat> we haven't got enough time. That's enough on England. This is a Premier League preview podcast. The Premier League is back, so let me quickly remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that generous offer, all you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash footballpod. And if you were to take advantage of that now, you would find a little piece on Crystal Palace's business in the summer transfer market. So Crystal Palace v Spurs, 12.30, Saturday lunchtime is the first game that we're going to preview. A lot's gone on, to be fair, hasn't it, George? Yeah, it has. I mean, it's, it's all changed there. Um, and... Now, they've tried it before and they brought in Roy Hodgson to kind of steady the ship and it turned out to be a, a smart decision. You know, over the course of, of a few seasons, he did a great job there, but they've there's been no time for transition. It is immediately bring in a, a, a manager in Patrick Vieira whose uh, reputation as a player, of course, means that he's in the frame for these kind of jobs. But those people who've, who've seen a fair bit of his, his teams in the past haven't been too enamoured with his, his managerial ability so far. Uh, and then in terms of the players they brought in, 
it's really exciting. They've, they've tried to think outside the box a bit. They've moved to bring in, you know, after the success of Abere Eze last season, uh, they rightly looked to the championship and looked for some of the most talented players there. Michael Elise uh, hasn't yet made his debut. There have been some reports he's going to be playing some part in this game against Spurs on the weekend. Is a, a brilliant, brilliant player. Uh, one of my favourite players to watch in the EFL last season. So talented, strikes the ball so sweetly. Mark Grahy as well, uh, they brought from, from Chelsea for, for 20 odd million as well, who had a brilliant season last season at Swansea. Conor Gallagher, who's had a few loans in the EFL, all of them brilliantly. He's on loan from Chelsea. Will Hughes, another one who we've seen in the Premier League before. It, it's the only concern I have is are they going from from one to the other, one extreme to the other too quickly? Uh, I think it is asking a lot of these players and this manager to, to try and bed in um, fast and, and be able to ensure that they keep their, their Premier League status immediately um, because normally these things take time and it's a lot of pressure on, on these players to to perform as soon as they come in and also a lot of pressure on Patrick Vieira to, to blend them all together and to get to know them because that's you know, let's face it, he wouldn't know much about these guys before he took the job. So um, exciting, certainly in terms of recruitment, but whether or not they are well set this season uh, and, and on for Saturday's game as well, I, I'm not so sure. I guess though, Steve, they would know it's going to be a difficult season. They, they had a lot of players leave the football club at the end of last season, so they knew they needed to, to make changes. I think we always knew it was going to be a turbulent summer for Crystal Palace. So in a way... You're not not right off the season, but you you know what this season's going to be about for Crystal Palace, don't you? In in a lot of ways, I think so, Dan. Yeah, I think the obviously the average age of the squad has, has come down as well. Um, George alluded to the players that have come into the football club. I think they've gone from twenty eight point eight years old to twenty seven point six. So they have come down a little bit as well. Listen, they're second favourites, you know, for relegation. Um, so and, and and I thought that fight back against against West Ham. I thought was some, Good some positive, yeah, mm. a, 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 a real positive sign as well about it. And I think the fans probably understand it as well. You know, I know it was different when De Boer was there and, you know, he came in and he, what was it, four on the bounce that he lost without scoring. And of course, previously he'd been at, uh, he'd been in Inter Adney and it didn't work out for him there. So clearly I think it is going to be a slow, slow process. The fans have got to stick by him and, 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 he will have respect in the dressing room. I know George has mentioned his, his, his couple of jobs before, which hadn't, didn't go fantastically well for him. But let's see how he does. Yeah, I think an added difficulty as well for Vieira, George, is that I think we all know he wasn't first choice. So the players all know that, that he wasn't first choice. I mean, he's up against the man that we thought was going to be Crystal Palace manager. And obviously Nuno's ended up going to Spurs. So mm -hmm. That can't be an easy situation for a manager either. No, it can't be. It can't be. Although I guess the the benefit of that is is that that's forgotten very quickly. If you make a, a decent start and if you make a poor start, mm. then it's probably going to be the poor start that that buries you rather than the fact you weren't there. Um, and I think that you know if that was, if it was a a young manager who didn't have the allure of, of Patrick Vieira and everything he's done in the Premier League, it would probably be, be a bit harder. But given he is who he is and he's done what he's done on the football pitch, I think he's going to come on that respect, even if he wasn't necessarily the first choice. Um, but he's he's been tasked. It looks like with with not only you know, that the squad I think has probably been freshened for him. I think too often we talk about managers freshening the squads, whereas actually, you know, whilst he'll have a say in transfers, the chances are these aren't the players that he's necessarily chosen. They've been picked to play the, the way that he wants to play, and we've certainly seen a, a more kind of possession based style from Palace already this season, but not to a massively great extent. You know, we saw an opening day that 
that Chelsea had a lot of the ball. Palace kept the ball very, very deep, but struggled to really get it into advanced areas. And and I looked through their three games this season and we're seeing um, Joel Ward and, and Tyreek Mitchell basically have most of the ball from fullback. It looks like they're trying to get the ball out wide very, very quickly and then hit the channels, which... You know, when you're retaining the ball in deep areas, it's not normally the way that you look to play. Um, their PPDA, so their pressing metric, I think is the fourth or fifth highest in the division, it means that they're sitting off teams and not really looking to, to challenge them at all. They are about mid-table in terms of 10-pass sequences, so it shows they are trying to retain the ball. But all of those stats together suggest a side who are basically looking to keep possession for possession's sake without really creating too many chances for it. And that I guess could just be a teething issue, you know, coming into a club and, and trying to get a set of players playing away they're maybe not used to, or because it's a new set of players who haven't played too much together before. You'd think the signing of uh, Edward from, from Celtic should give them a new focal point that Christian Benteke maybe lacks. You know, he's a brilliant, Benteke is a, a, a brilliant player to have up front in order for the physical battles. And he's obviously very, very good in the air, but he hasn't been a prolific goal scorer for a long time. And, and Edward certainly has been that in the premiership up in Scotland. So, um, uh, it looks to me at the moment uh, there's more concern than promise in, in my mind as to Patrick Vieira's Palace and this looks like a pretty difficult task although Spurs of course despite winning 3 from 3 or 1-0 haven't been too convincing in their wins uh, I think Spurs will come into this pretty confident that they can make it 4 from 4 I guess Nuno wasn't first choice for the Spurs job either, and he's made a decent fist of it so far, so that fits in with what you were saying earlier, George. I think Palace will take something from this game. I've got a feeling it'll be a draw. Spurs can't win 1-0 every single week. I think this could be a, <laughs> a score draw this week. And Steve, have you got a tip? Does your tip fit in with what I'm saying? It does, Dan, yeah. I think after after the two draws and the fight back at West Ham that we talked about, and Spurs overachieving just a little bit. You know, Lloris has made 12 saves already this season. Uh, prevented an XG of, of 2.4 against. Uh, and there's also a possibility of some big names missing as well. So I'm going to go with uh, Crystal Palace on the double chance, which means Crystal Palace to win mm. or draw against Tottenham Hotspur. Nice. Game two is Manchester United v Newcastle, which it says here is our chosen 3pm game. I'm not convinced we've ever chosen a, th- a 3pm game before. So we've li- we've lifted our, our blackout, our 3pm blackout to talk about Manchester United Leicester. v Newcastle. <laughs> I mean, it's not my decision. It's, it's completely out of my hands. I did do a podcast, incidentally, on this feed earlier on in the week. If you didn't catch that on the 3pm blackout, George, you featured on that as well. But yeah, we've lifted our 3pm blackout, Steve, to talk about Manchester United v Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo's second debut... Let's get the goal scorer odds out of the way. Yeah, it's been Ronaldo uh, mania. Listen, I'd love Steve Bruce to go go back to Old Trafford and get something from this game. It would be an absolute dream for us, believe me. I mean, his odds... I mean, you are are dreaming, (laughs) Steve. Yeah, I know. know. Listen, his odds are very short. Even to to score first is 15 to 8. That's not any time, by the way. That's... uh, that's first goal in the game. He's he's four to eleven to uh, to score at any time, and he's he's only five to one to get a hat trick. And I suppose everyone knows now that he only has only ever scored one hat trick for Manchester United, and that of course was against Newcastle uh, in a six nil victory. So, and he's at seven to four as well to to score more goals than the Newcastle on his own on Saturday. And, and of course, as regards what was that odds? Seven to four to score more seven than to one. Newcastle. I was going to say, I'll, no. get my, I'll get my bank card out immediately. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> And, and and from a, a you know we've we've already talked quite a bit on this pod over the weeks about the PFA award and Ronaldo has actually won it twice. No player has won it three times at all. So we've actually put him in as favourite to do that at at five to one and just nine to two to be top goal scorer. You know he's I know he's thirty six and 
he, as I, he, he just demands so much respect, doesn't he? You know, for um, what we think uh, he's going to have. Listen, he's going to do very well to get anywhere near the 31 goals he bagged in, in 2008, I think it was, when he finished top goal scorer. Uh, he's 10 to 1 to score 30 plus. But as you know, you know, we, we, he's going to be massive. I know we touched on we touched on Spurs earlier. He's even a shorter price than, than Harry Kane, who's actually 6 to 1 in that outright market, both starting, of course, without any goals at the moment as well. So I think a great debate, guys, is about free kicks and penalties. I don't know what you yeah. think about about about, uh, about who will take them. Just I mean, just from an odds point of view, Manchester United haven't had a penalty this season. Newcastle have considered one in each of their first three. So it's we're 12 to 5, Manchester United to score one and 10 to 1 to miss. I, I don't know what you think, but I, I think Ronaldo will pull rank on the on the on the spot kicks, and I think Bruno will probably take more free kicks. Because let's be honest, I've got a better striker right than Ronaldo on free kicks. Well, I was going to say, I mean that that's the thing, isn't it? He's he is not good at free kicks. I mean, I know we've all seen those amazing free kicks, the Pompey one back in the day, and whatever United, whatever. But in the last five or six years, his free kick strike rate is terrible. But he always takes them, and I think he'll take them for United, which is a absolute disaster for United fans like it it doesn't make any sense but there's obviously something there you know he's played at Portugal he takes them when when Bruno's on the pitch think of the the plethora of players at both Juventus and Madrid who'd be better equipped to do them yet he always takes them so I I think he'll take both and I think he'll probably score loads of penalties and you know he's probably going to score a free kick on Saturday and my mentions are going to be RIP so uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll see (laughs) yeah I can't imagine him walking into the dressing room and just saying to Bruno no, no, it's all right, mate. You, you, you gave him. No I, don't want, I, I don't want him. The, I don't need him. There's the precedent as well, as I said, at Portugal. Like, it's already, it's already it there. It's there. It's a shame. Well, I say it's a shame for Bruno. I mean, his goal, his goals are going to be cut in half because so many of them have been penalty stuff. Is he at your fantasy team, Dan? I bet he's straight, I bet out, he, straight out. Straight yeah, out. I bet, did you world card this week? I did it. I, I actually activated it last week, but I will <laughs> obviously have to put the finishing touches towards it. But yeah, Ronaldo's in. Yeah, well, well, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you feel for you feel for Bruno, who, who, who scored you know a, a shed load of goals last season. Um, you know, we pushed him out in a, in a number of markets this season as well. But I think he's still seven to one second favourite for the PFA. Um, so th- those two are fighting it out. Listen, if you, uh, I think there's only one winner on that front. I think definitely going to pull rank. And uh, I don't know if there's anything in his contract about taking penalties. We've seen him get the number seven shirts. We'll probably, like George says, the more I think about it, the more I think he's probably right about the free kicks as well. Mm. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be a great watch and it's going to be a tough old gig for for Newcastle United on Saturday but you know what we'll be cheering on the Toonami that's for sure well, I don't think on this type of free kick his conversion rate's brilliant but every now and again one just flies in the top corner like that and that was one of them <laughs> unbelievable there's already been a Twitter post on the Manchester United official Twitter of a computer game of Ronaldo standing over a free kick, heavy breathing with his shorts pulled up. You know, so I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna be on everything, isn't it? Fernandez isn't gonna be able to take, take a thing anymore. This fixture used to be a, a really exciting one when Newcastle back in their palm. I've got visions of Laurent Robert scoring against Manchester United, although it was probably at St James's Park. But Newcastle nowadays, George, just not there at all. Whipping boys in this kind of game, I would say. Well, I mean, I don't want to dis- disrupt your narrative, but I mean, yes, I mean, they aren't the team that they used to be. And, you know, we've seen Manchester United beat them. I think it's been 3-1, 4-1 and 3-1 in the last three times they've met with Newcastle winning the fourth last 1-0. Um, and and it, it frustrates me because you look at Newcastle's side at the moment and they, they, they shouldn't be as dour as they are you know they've got quite a few exciting attacking players on the pitch I mean Sam Maximat is one of my favourite players to watch in 
in the Premier League, except when he's scoring 120th minute winners for Newcastle at the Kassam Stadium in, in, in the FA Cup. Um, some celebration, George, in the crowd, I seem to remember that day. Oh, I remember yeah, that one, it was, yeah. Unbel- I mean, it was a hell of an evening. It was the last game I, I went to, I think, before COVID happened. Uh, and then and then Almiron as well is a player who, when he's on song, you know, he's a flair player, I think, in a, in a more, in a team who are trusted to, to play more technical, you know, passing, moving football would thrive. Willock's obviously come back in as well. Murphy is a, is a player who's very good. Wilson's a good goal scorer. That, there are the tools there to have a team who look to play. But Steve Bruce as a manager, either by choice or by necessity, who is very, very good at coaching a team how to set up in a low block. He's very, very good at frustrating the opposition and he's not particularly good or he's never really tried to do anything else. And that most of the time I'd say would is a negative thing but in these games when they are set up to frustrate and we know that Manchester United under under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are, are a team who are incredibly good on the break and find that pace in behind so easy to exploit and with Ronaldo there as well that's only going to going to further the um that strength although the aerial threat that he possesses will help them against a low block as well where they can look to hit him um as a as a ball you know rather than just 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 keeping it in 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 kind of final third areas but having said that Newcastle in the in these games I mentioned earlier have looked to frustrate and they've been successful to an extent you know the the last two games have been one all at half time both have seen a flurry of United goals late on as they finally break down that low block and you know given all of the the narrative around this game and about Ronaldo that it's going to be a huge occasion, and if things don't go off to a great start, I can see it getting quite nervy and getting a little, having a little bit of an anticlimactic feel. Now, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ronaldo cops that five to one, and at half time we're sitting there and it's the Ronaldo show, and he's already scored two of them. But I think at the prices available, there is merit to siding with Newcastle. Now, I am not sitting here before I upset people saying I think Newcastle are going to win. I do not. But as I say, the last two games between these two have been one all at half time. You can back the draw at half time at two to one, which I think is fair given we know exactly how Newcastle are going to set up. They're going to look to frustrate, and we know that is something that United struggle to do. And then on, on the Asian handicap as well, Newcastle plus two, which means that if Newcastle lose by two goals, you get your money back. So three one, you get your money back. Two nil, you get your money back. Four two, you get your money back. Anything better than that for Newcastle, it's a winner, and anything worse than that, it's a loser. So. But, so to lose your money at 1.93, so just a bit better than 10 to 11, Manchester United have to win by three goals or more, I think is a fair way to play this. I just think that United, even though they are clearly the more likely winners and could easily run right here at two to 11, you've just got to find angles of getting against that because that is eye-wateringly short. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Next up is Chelsea against Aston Villa. So it's time for Steve to go and make a cup of tea for five minutes whilst me and George <laughs> talk, talk about the game. But George, it's going to be a big ask for Villa, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it's going to be a big ask for Villa. I mean, I'm going to ask you in a second what, what you've made of, of Villa's start to the season so far. Um, but with Chelsea, you just know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, under Thomas Tuchel, they are just basically a, a winning machine and we saw how they were able to adapt after the Reese James sending off a couple of weeks going against Liverpool and how good they were at just suffocating the game with 10 men you know they are the side that can do both we've seen them on occasion dominate possession create plenty of chances play attacking football or when they need to they can drop in and be incredibly resolute you know I think we saw both sides of that Chelsea in the Champions League final against Manchester City uh, during the summer, so it's a, it's a really tough ask for for Villa. You know that's reflected by the fact that Chelsea are two to seven for the game with Villa ten to one, so a little bit shorter than Newcastle are to get the result at uh, Old Trafford. But what what do you think of that ten to one? I mean, have you found the post Grealish era at Villa, and do you go into this harboring any hopes? You know, some incredible results against top four in air quotes yeah. teams last season. Uh, how do you feel going into this one? There's always hope. I think ten to one is a little bit harsh, considering we didn't lose to Chelsea last season when we played. When we played, <laughs> being honest, I don't see us rocking up to Stamford Bridge and winning on Saturday. I think our start so far has been understandable because we've had injuries, we've had COVID, we've had no Grealish players bedding in. Who have, I mean, Bailey hasn't started a game yet. Watkins hasn't started a game yet. So I think there's mitigating circumstances for our start. So I would say. Four points is, is probably expected. I think the first game was an absolute disaster against Watford, just a, just a freak day, and it was a major disaster class from Villa. Beat Newcastle, which I think was probably expected. I think most teams will beat Newcastle at home, and then Brentford are better than a lot than a lot of uh, people will think. And I didn't actually think that was a bad result. One one considering the amount of players. Villa had missing. We've used 21 players in the league already this season, which tells wow. you exactly how far the, the problems have been with injuries and COVID and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I think we'll have a slow start to the season, but I think we'll end it well. I think it'll be the opposite of, of last season, if I'm being perfectly honest. Dan, what do you think? What's happened to Sanson, the, uh, the midfielder? You know, he injured ever since he got there. Injured I mean, ever since he arrived. Some of the Villa fans that I speak to, there's just a concern about the about the centre mid, about the midfield. Um, yeah. You know, debates about Nakamba and, you know, his distribution and whatever. And uh, and Louise, Douglas Louise a little bit, he, he seems to be exposed whenever, whenever he plays in there, but he's better as a, you know, a passer of a ball as well. I just wondered, uh, you know, your thoughts on the old midfield debate. Sanson is fit now, I think, so he'll he'll start making a, a play for a place in the in the squad and, and in the team now. Douglas Louise actually looked back to his best against Brentford. He was very good post COVID when we football came back after the lockdown. He was very very good, and then he started the season well, but but faded, which is, is usual for for a young player. He looked back to his best against Brentford, I would say. So if we had the Douglas Louise that we had post lockdown. I think we'll be in a good place and maybe the necessity for getting a midfielder in wouldn't have been as strong as Villa fans would would think, but. The main thing, I guess, is, and I'll, I'll come to you for this, Steve, is Villa mm. are probably going to pair Watkins and Ings together. And that wouldn't be a, a nice attack to play against as a defender, I would say, those two, because they both work very hard, both got good movement, both never give up on on anything, and are both good goal scorers. 
yeah, I think it's quite exciting to for Villa fans to have those two. You know, where they play again is another one up to, up for debate. I th- was it a a four one four one when they when uh, Ollie came on? I think against Brentford, and he had a couple of chances done as well, didn't he? I think late in the game, he livened, he livened yeah, Villa up yeah, a lot. Livened yeah. us up. Yeah, I mean his energy and his pressing, as we know, you know, he's, he's he is an extremely hard worker as well. And I think Danny Ings has been, well, I say slightly fortunate with his goals. Just looking without being at the game, and like <laughs> you, you know, he's had two goals and assist. I think he's had four shots, and and three of those have been on target. Clin- I think- clin- clinical stuff. No, listen, you've had nine shots on target. He, scored, he's, he's, he scores an overhead kick and you're saying he's lucky to get two goals. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it, I was expecting like, this absolutely brilliant overhead kick when I saw it and I thought it was a it was a fa- it was a fair strike. You know, I'll... Jeez, Dave. But I think it's exciting to see those two, you know, those two in tandem as well. Whether they'll get uh, much joy at, uh, at Stamford Bridge is... Uh, is certainly another one that's probably uh, up for debate. But listen, I was there at uh, at the cup final at Wembley in two thousand when when Di Matteo scored. Um, the yeah, old, uh, cheers th- for bringing that, that up. That was the old Wembley, and that was uh, yeah. you know that was I'm showing my age there as well. But there there have been some great games between these two sides uh, over the years. I think it's ten that years since you. No, no, no. I, I was referring to the eight nil and the seven one at Stamford Bridge. Oh, gosh, to be honest yeah, with you, um, <laughs> no. But but also there'll be some great draws, three three alls and four four as well. So yeah. um, it's a game that I'm expecting Chelsea to win. Um, I, I, I know I'll give you a bit of ribbon about the Villa as well, but uh, I think a, an average seven out of ten, in my opinion, from their start, from an outsider looking in. That's probably quite kind, actually, Steve. Seven out of ten. Fingers crossed Lukaku doesn't recover on Saturday. He needs to rest that injury. He needs to rest up. Make sure he's back. <laughs> Make sure he's fit for the Champions League. They don't need to worry about him for the league. So hopefully he decides to take the weekend off. What are the odds on Chelsea for the title? And it says here Villa for Europe. But I don't want people to think that that was my idea to ask that. <laughs> it really was. We, we all know, <laughs> no. yeah. And, and the title as well. You meant Aston Villa for the title. Listen, Chelsea are a clear second favourites at 11 to 4 behind 6 to 5 Manchester City after that impressive 10 man performance at, at, at Anfield as well. Um, as for Aston Villa, they're 9 to 1 for a top six finish. I think 5 to 4 about a top half one. Danny's a bit more realistic about the Lions. And what about your tip for the game? I'm just going to go with uh, with Chelsea just to win to nil around the even money mark. I, th- I, I, I don't see Villa scoring here today um, against a Chelsea side who are very strong defensively. Of course, we're all waiting for team news after all these internationals, aren't we, as well, to see who's yeah. playing and who isn't. But I just going to be Chelsea being too strong and their defence not being breached. Yeah, the two Emmys won't be playing for Villa as I think they're currently in Croatia because when you've got COVID stuff going on, it makes complete sense that you would have to go to another country <laughs> before you come back to the UK. I mean, what on earth is going on with the world? But never mind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Game four on this preview is Leeds against Liverpool, 4.30 on Sunday. It says here the two great entertainers going head-to-head, George. Is yeah, I think, that's, I, th- I think it is fair. I mean, Liverpool maybe um, uh, haven't lived up to their entertainers' billing so far, but you can't deny that the, their style of football and the players they've got at their disposal um, normally make for a decent game. And I, and I think the, 
uh, in the first game of, of Leeds' return to the Premier League last season, they played uh, Liverpool in an empty stadium and it was still an unbelievable game. 4-3 it ended to Liverpool. The second game may have finished one all, but it was end-to-end again. And I think we can anticipate another brilliant match here because with Leeds... Uh, you know what you're going to get. I mean, they and the other manager who was on the receiving end of the beating that they got from Manchester United would probably go into this game against another side who have similar strength on the break and reevaluate the um, the the game plan. But that's not going to happen here. We know that Marcelo Bielsa has one way to play. Plan A uh, is Plan A. Plan B is do Plan A better. I mean, that's that's the way that he likes to to operate, and that causes carnage and I think that's going to be what we see here um, I probably anticipate that, Le- that Leeds will be slightly better defensively because um, Calvin Phillips is back as we saw him play for England uh, a couple of times and he wasn't available in the United game which is, which is big although Rafinha is one of this clutch of Brazilian players who are seemingly not going to be allowed to feature in the Premier League on Saturday. Um, at the time of recording, you know, we're recording this on Thursday, kind of mid to late afternoon. Um, it seems like that hasn't necessarily been confirmed yet. It feels like there could be some wiggle room and maybe Rafinha will be able to play, which would be a big positive for Leeds. But at the time of recording, that would be a big miss um, with Daniel James, possibly the one to come in for him, um, who, who I don't think... Uh, whilst he offers you the pace in behind, I don't think he quite has the quality on the ball that Rafinha has to go alongside it. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a, a fascinating encounter between two sides. I, I'm intrigued to see how Liverpool do because um, I've been vocal on this podcast saying that I, I don't see the discrepancy in the title price between Leeds, sorry, between Liverpool and um, Chelsea as being particularly fair. The market seems to to not rate Liverpool too highly, as we saw again in the pre-match odds before the Chelsea game. And in fairness, they didn't put away a 10-man Chelsea there. So I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams here. It's not ideal for Leeds, who haven't got their first win of the season, although I do think points against Everton and then away uh, at Turf Moor will age quite well. Um, but they need to get their th- the first three points because they have aspirations, as we've just discussed with Villa, of at least getting in the top half and then pushing towards that top six. Yeah, George has just mentioned Dan James there, Steve. It's fair to say, didn't go great for him at Manchester United. I think playing for Leeds and Bielsa, that, that'll suit him a lot more, won't it? Definitely so. I mean, he played 53 minutes for United against against uh, Wolves, didn't mm. he? And then he was and then he was hooked, and you know, and now he's off to Ellen Road. I'm in agreement with you, Dan. I think the fact that Bielsa has gone in again for him as well will be a huge, huge boost for him. I think you know Manchester United. I'm not saying Leeds United aren't a massive football club; they are, but. I'm not sure how he coped with all that pressure as well, being at being at such a big club at you know like like at United. Apparently, his attitude and his work rate um, is absolutely fantastic, and it just feels like a a great fit for me for Leeds United. Yeah. I tell you, Leeds have got some quality wide players now, so it's going to be interesting to see what Bielsa does. But Bielsa clearly wanted him; he's got his man, and I think one thing for sure: when he beds in, I think he'll get the fans off the seat as well. I think with James, there was a real, really unfair expectation on him. Um, I think because he very nearly went to Leeds who have a very big, very committed, very vocal fan base and then he went to Manchester United who have a massive, very vocal, very committed fan base. His profile raised was, was raised so quickly and it wasn't really in keeping with his performances for Swansea. You know, he was great for Swansea. He was really exciting. He was a good championship player. But if you did a list of the top 50 championship players, he never would have featured on that list. He was never operating at a level to suggest that he was going to be able to immediately go into into Manchester United and, and perform at the needed 
quality to be a top Premier League player. Now, that's not to say that he won't get there. And I think he's going to a club now where he'll be afforded the time and he's working with a manager who's incredibly good at developing players and bringing them on. So I think it's a great move for James. No disrespect to United at all, but I think it was just a move too far. Um, I don't think he'll necessarily impact, have the impact initially, but you look at the way that Jack Harrison has improved year on year under Marcelo Bielsa. That's what we can expect from Daniel James. I'm sure in, in two or three years' time, he'll be a far, far better footballer than the one. He'll be much closer to the player, I think, that Manchester United thought they were getting a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good signing for later. I think he will suit Bielsa down to, down to the ground. I think that's a, a really, really smart signing. Steve, someone that is going a bit under the radar at the moment seems to be Mo Salah, which is stupid considering he's one goal off his 100th Premier League goal since coming to Anfield in 2017. I think because Liverpool had a difficult season last season, people seem to have forgotten about Salah's quality, but he's still easily in the top three players in the Premier League. And with George touched on it as well, Liverpool aren't really seen massively as contenders this year, but when you've got Mo Salah, you've got a chance. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, you talk of penalties there. He, he did miss his first one, didn't he? I think that was against uh, against Huddersfield and he's gone on to have uh, scored his, his next 14. I think he certainly likes playing against uh, Leeds United. Um, we've got a hat-trick against them, didn't they, in the opening game of last season. And I suppose this summer, Dan, we'd be more interested in talking. Of, you know, the summer was dominated by Jack Grealish. Will he, won't he? Yes, he's gone. Um, and then you've got Lukaku and then and then you've got Ronaldo. You know, big names coming back to the Premier League. And, and Mo Salah just, He's he's a big character on the pitch, isn't he? But he's not, you know, he's not a you know look at me type of character off the pitch either. And he's a fantastic footballer, and you know, contractual situation and whatever at Liverpool, you know, and, and I suppose Liverpool fans will be hoping that he can continue and 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 reach that 100 goal barrier. He's he's odds on to reach 100 goals actually at Ellen Road. So the bookmakers are certainly still talking about him as a as a force in front. And I know that he's uh, he's probably in your fantasy team as well. Sorry for going back to fantasy football as well, but I say be in yours. He yeah, is there. yeah, he and, is there. yeah, fifty three percent of the uh, FPL community have him I think he's the most owned player so that, so they haven't disregarded him either as well so great player and um, this could be a great game as well at the weekend yeah but thanks for that Jack Grealish mention as always if you if the day ever comes that West Brom produce a semi-decent footballer and he gets sold I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be coming for you Steve George you've got a tip for the Leeds v Liverpool game yeah, I'm looking at corners. Um, I mentioned earlier that we we know this is going to be very, very end-to-end. Um, interestingly, if you take the two games from last season, in the 4-3, uh, Liverpool had nine corners to Leeds' zero. And I, I'm baffled by the fact that Leeds didn't have a single corner in the game. Fast forward to the second game, the uh, the one all, and there were 18 corners in the match, 10-8 to Liverpool in the corner count. Um, and that is often the way with Leeds games. You know, we saw, I think there were nine corners in the first half an hour against Manchester United in, in, on the first game of the season because of the way they play, because they look to get the ball wide, because they look to attack and, and therefore let the opposition in behind fairly often. Um, it, it makes sense that there are a lot of corners in these games. So over 11 is 13 to 10 with bet 365. And also another one uh, over 14 at 5 to 1. Um, so both of those two, I, I think, represent value for a game that is sure to be pretty enjoyable to watch and, and hopefully full of corners and goals. Let's finish then with Everton against Burnley, which is the Monday night football. And George, Everton fans were quite critical, quite vocal about Rafa Benitez's appointment, but they've looked solid in the first three games. Yeah, solid's the right word. Um, I think they've they've upgraded uh, in terms of their, their manager from Carlo Ancelotti to to Rafa Benitez. Um, oh, I think, I think that as well. Of, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've often 
And you know, again, it's another thing I've said before that upsets people. I, I think Ancelotti has been a manager blessed with some incredible squads. And if you look at the amount, I know he's won a lot of Champions Leagues, but the amount of domestic titles that he's won, given the clubs he's managed, is I think I think maybe Steve could do better, to be honest. Um, so, <laughs> so it's it's yeah. I mean, I, I think Benito. I mean, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. But in terms of of, of the actual coaching side of things, I think. Benitez's style of football and as we're seeing with Dominic Calvert-Lewin's good start to the season fits Everton and fits the players that they've got as well um, interestingly looking through kind of getting all all nerdy again and, and having a look at kind of the stats side of things they are the the team that their build-up play is most like when you're looking at passes passing sequences when you're looking at pressing is actually their opposition it, it's Burnley um, they are the two sides who in the whole of the Premier League so far have the, the lowest passing sequence, so the fewest passes um, and also the fastest direct speeds except for Villa. So Villa top that, then it's Burnley, then it's Everton. So they are the two sides who look to effectively get it forward as fast as possible whilst also not just knocking it around for, for the sake of it, um, which is obviously very different to the way that Carlo Ancelotti likes to play football, but it's proving effective so far. You know they, they've looked very, very good defensively. They're creating plenty, plenty of chances for Calvert Lewin. They're using him to his best effect, and and I think coming into this, they they strike me as a, as a side who just look in, in in decent nick. And you look at the transfers they brought in as well: Andros Townsend and Demario Gray, two players who would not have been on Everton's Everton's radar. It's fair to say, if if Carlo was still looking for his Galacticos, but they've come in for little money and and performed very, very well so far. So yeah, I, I'm I'm positive on their chances for the season. Yeah, you don't need to pass the ball when you've got Damari, Damari Gray on the form he's on at the moment, whizzing yeah. through defences. He started the season in absolutely sensational form, but it'd be really great to see him do well, even as a former Birmingham City player. Someone that's back in the Premier League, Steve, someone that you'll know well, Rondon is back with Benitez. I think that's the third spell that they've had together now. I can't. I was trying to think of players that have had three spells with the manager, and I kept, could think of loads with two, but not many with three. Good relationship they obviously have. Not sure that he'll play loads for Everton there. No, I mean, I was Neil Warnock and Paddy Kenny were ones that seemed to be. Oh, that's a good one. Back, yeah, back in the day when they uh, they had a load of them. Yeah, Rondon is a player that I think all Albion fans like a great deal. He's a he's by all accounts he's a he's a he was a fantastic professional at the Albion. He's a great team player. You can play off him. He can run behind, which will get defenders on the back foot as well, which is a, a huge bonus as well. And he can also score with both feet and his head. He's he's no Duncan Ferguson in the air, but he did get a hat-trick <laughs> of headers once in the Premier League in 13 minutes against Swansea, a feat that uh, that Duncan Ferguson also did in, in 97 against Bolton as well. You could say he was up like a Salomon. Um, but there you go. I think, I think, oh yeah, I think that was a, a bit of a slow burner. But he, no, he won't be first choice. He'll be a good backup, of course, for for Calvert Lewin and, and I suppose um, Richarlison as well. But a good signing for um, for Everton, and I think Albion fans will will wish Rondon uh, all the best this season. Yeah, did very well at Newcastle as well under Benitez. One player that is still there, George, is James Rodriguez. He chose to stay. Fans are split, I think, on whether they they want him there or not. It doesn't seem like Rafa. He's particularly keen to have him around, but when you've got a player being on 250k a week, it's a bit like Ozil at Arsenal for, the, mm. for those years where he didn't play, isn't it? What, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, it's hard to know. Uh, there's a brilliant piece yeah, up on the I realised when I asked that question, it's not the best yeah, question in the world because how on earth would you know? <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll text Hammers now and ask him what he's going to do. Yeah, very um, good. Give him a call. There was no, there was a good article on that I read on Monday uh, on the Athletic by uh, Greg O'Keefe that kind of outlined the whole situation. You know, he, he's pretty. Greg's pretty clear on there saying that the reason why 
Rodriguez didn't leave in, Jan- in, in the window was purely because no one was going to pay him the the same amount of money that, that he was going to be getting at Everton. And I guess, again, going back to the Galacticos and Carlo Ancelotti, the way, <laughs> with the way that those two managers work, bringing in James Rodriguez on 250 grand a week compared to bringing in Damari Gray. I mean, I know, which to me looks like the savvier um, signing in terms of the financials and what they can do on the pitch. Um, Rodriguez quite clearly wants to play his way back into the Columbia fold ahead of the World Cup next year. And to do that, he's going to have to play. And I think Benitez has, has clearly been said to Rodriguez he's not going to he's not going to freeze him out it's not really his style even if he did want him gone so we're not going to see him anytime soon there's no denying his his incredible quality um when he does play but it feels like Rodriguez will be a, a, a symbol of, of of a very very brief Ancelotti era and I can't really think of many players who don't fit into to the Benitez style and the Benitez psyche uh, quite like him I mean, you can just imagine, can't you, the, uh, his face, uh, Hammers Rodriguez, when he realised that Ancelotti was on his way. You can just realise, he, you know, head in the hands thinking, oh my God, what am I going to, who's going to come know. in? And then, and then then Rafa walks through the door and, you th- I mean, I was just looking back earlier at just his games at uh, at Real Madrid. He, 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 just, he was hooked so many times before 65 minutes. I know Rafa's spell there was was brief but I think Rafa came in he played him for a couple of games and then uh, James got injured he's just like you say George he's a completely different footballer to what uh, to what Rafa really wants he's not a dis- he's not a disciplined footballer I'm sure he sees himself as a as a floated number 10 one that doesn't have to do the dirty you know you've got other players to do that his job is to create not defend I actually think he might actually be okay if he's not going to play properly against Burnley but I mean he's the type of player in that type of game where you play it where Burnley would come and try and frustrate with you know with the low block etc and he would be able to do something but I could not see him playing a great deal for Everton at all because um, I mean historically just going back to that Burnley game Everton have struggled I mean last season was uh, was a struggle for them as well and uh, but yes I, I just a, a penny a penny for his thoughts when he saw Rafa mm. walking through the door I mean, it's good news for him, I guess, that we're allowed nine subs again this season, so he might be able to play his way onto the bench. Have you got a tip for this game, Steve? Yeah, I mean, Everton have have started well. I think the games that they've played already, Dan, I think they, that might have suited Everton. You know, sides who like possession, Southampton, Leeds and Brighton. Uh, Burnley clearly don't like possession as well. So I can see there's been um, a bit of a low-scoring game. So I'm going to go for under two and a half goals in this one. Good stuff. Don't tune into Monday Night Football then expecting an absolute <laughs> belter. I think that does us for this week's preview. So one final reminder that you can sign up to The Athletic and benefit from the insight of some of the best sport writers in the business for just £3.33 a month at the moment by heading to theathletic.com slash football pod. I read a good piece actually on, on Arsenal just before I came on by Ollie Kay, which I, I enjoyed, which I think sums up Arteta's reign so far quite nicely. Yes, yeah, so make sure you check that out. Thanks to George. I was going to say I wasn't going to say thanks to Steve, but I will thank you as ever for joining joining me, guys. Great to have you both, and great to chat to you. Remember to hit subscribe so you never miss a show. And if you are enjoying it, then please, please leave us a review. And we'll be back next Friday. Enjoy the weekend's action. Cheers. The Athletic.